Good morning again. Great to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians 4, uh, verse 2, and we will pick up there in a moment. Uh, if you've been with us for the last few months, you know that we are in a series called Witness, in which we've been exploring what it looks like to be a vibrant and effective church uh, that not only survives, but thrives in the Western secular world. Uh, and we've broken this series into three movements. If you've been here since Labor Day weekend, you might remember some of this. Uh, the first movement uh, was all about who we are and what we do. And it kind of served as our annual vision series, but in the context of witnessing. Uh, we pray we, and believe in the power of prayer. We read scripture. We commit to community. We are uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and even experience uh, gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, and all of this is done in the context of witnessing, of alerting uh, others to the rule and reign of Christ in the world. Uh, that was movement one. Uh, movement two uh, was a study of the culture itself. Uh, what are unique obstacles and opportunities to the gospel in this current cultural moment? Uh, we sought to understand the culture, to study our own culture uh, as any missionary would. What is post-Christian culture? Uh, what are its unique idols? Where did it come from? Where do we anticipate it heading? That was movement two. Uh, this morning, we enter the third and final segment of our series, and this is where things get practical. Uh, we want to get as down-to-earth and as practical as we can in equipping the saints, that's all of you, uh, for the work of the ministry, which is what happens out there in your everyday lives. How do we actually go about witnessing to people day in and day out? Uh, how can we be effective in those things uh, instead of fearful or awkward or alienating? Uh, what does it look like to be effective witnesses on a Monday morning who actually see other people encounter Jesus over time? Uh, we pick up in Colossians 4 verse 2. These are Paul's words to the missional first century church which was the whole church, to be clear. Uh, it says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I, might, that I may claim, proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we recognize the call you have on each one of our lives to be your witnesses to alert other people to the reality that you're back from the dead, that you've conquered sin and death, and you now invite every single man, woman, and child into, into a reconciled, redeemed, renewed, restored relationship with you. And yet, Lord, even though this call that you have on our lives is so central to who we are now in Christ, is right there at the very core of why we are living, uh, it can be very difficult for some of us. 
And, and, and sometimes we overcomplicate things or point one another in, in unhelpful directions. And so I pray uh, for just a fresh anointing in the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being effective witnesses in the world and that you would use this morning, use the weeks to come. Uh, may we be people not just armed with intellectual knowledge about how our culture operates, but we may be people individually empowered uh, to go out and point others to the rule and reign of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most crucial things that we can get right as a church is evangelism. Uh, How do we actually witness? Uh, How do we take the gospel message out to the ends of the earth? How do we share the gospel with our friends, with our family members, our co-workers uh, in our post-Christian secular moment? Uh, How can you grow as an individual in introducing people to Jesus? Those are the questions that we'll be wrestling with in the weeks ahead. But I want to start by calling out the elephant in the room and stating the obvious. Most of us really don't like witnessing. If we're honest, we really don't. We don't like it. We don't like the idea. We don't like the word. We, we might enjoy learning about the culture on an intellectual level, uh, but we don't like evangelism or actually telling another human being about Jesus. For many of us, if not most of us, uh, it can feel forced, uh, awkward, terrifying, alienating. We, we just don't like it. And typically, what happens when you take a class on uh, witnessing or evangelism or you're part of a church community that goes through a series like the one that we're in now, uh, typically what happens is that a pastor like myself will stand up and say, hey, uh, every single one of you is an evangelist. Every one of you is is an evangelist. You need to regularly proclaim the gospel. Here's the gospel. There's four spiritual laws. You know, everyone is born a sinner, and Jesus, we have, you know, forgiveness of sin, and uh, if you accept that forgiveness, then you can go and be with Jesus. Now, just go out with that gospel uh, expressed in that exact way, and just go start telling people about it, and then the, the normal question that arises is like, well, who? Like, who, who am I supposed to be telling about that, and, and the stock answer is like, well, everyone. Anyone who, anyone who you can make into a captive audience, anyone who will listen to you, you go and tell them uh, about these four spiritual laws. And because that is honestly uh, sort of terrifying for the average human being, what happens is that you kind of tell the whole church, you're all evangelists, you all need to go out and do this to in, with anyone who will listen. And what happens is that a small minority will rise to the challenge and say, yes, I'm going to own that, I'm going to do it. And they go out and do it, uh, usually with some mixed results. And the rest of us, maybe 80%, sort of shrink back and say, actually, I, I don't feel like I can do that. Uh, and therefore, I'm probably not a very good Christian. Because I'm not an evangelist. I, I don't, he says I'm an evangelist, but I just don't know. I just feel very uncomfortable. I don't know how to share my faith in that way. And so most of us... Uh, feel as though we have failed when, when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to evangelism. Are you with me there? 
Okay. So uh, there's some damage that has been done uh, inside and outside of the church uh, through this sort of uh, forced evangelism. Here's your pre-written speech. Get out there. Give it to anyone who will listen. Uh, here's your track. Go hand it out. Just catch as many people as you can. And, and so you get into these sort of forced, maybe awkward situations. Where you're, oh, hi, what's your name? You know, you're waiting at the bus stop. Oh, my name's Rob. Oh, oh hi, Rob. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but... You're a sinner, Rob. Um, and oh, well, nice, nice jacket, by the way. I really like that. Where did you get that? Oh, from, from, from REI. Uh, oh, well, it's like I was saying, Rob, you, you're a sinner. Uh, and guess what? So is everyone else at REI. And, and, and what you really need is, is the forgiveness of Jesus. And, I, and I'm wondering if you'd like to accept him right now as your Savior. Uh, and, and Rob's thinking, like, I'm just trying to catch the bus, man. Like, I don't, I don't know you. Um, and, and, and yet we're told, hey, this, that's what you got to just get out there. Just go do this. Just be bold. Make it happen. But, but sometimes in the aftermath, you know, Rob's hopping on the bus a little bit uneasy by the interaction because he was just trying to go to work. I'm a bit uneasy because I've just kind of forced this conversation on him with mixed results. And all of you are uneasy because you don't want to have those conversations, but now you think that you should. And you're not having these conversations, and therefore you're not good evangelists, and maybe you're just not very good at following Jesus. So the first thing that I'm going to tell you, which will be disturbing for some and relieving for others, is that you are not all evangelists. You're not. Some of you are. Some of you are gifted in this area, and I will say repeatedly, we need you. Some of you are gifted evangelists who honestly could connect with Rob at the bus stop and share your faith in a way that blesses Rob, uh, that leaves you feeling encouraged and blessed, and that glorifies God. You could have that interaction, and, and it would be a good one. And he would go off to work blessed with, with a greater understanding of your faith and, and, and the rule and reign of Jesus in the world. Uh, but most of us are not that way. And you can see that in the verses that we read this morning. Paul says, he says, Pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. This is how the church is to pray for Paul, who's a great evangelist. But this is not how Paul prays for the church. And I want us to notice the difference. Paul, the great evangelist, will stand up in synagogues, in temples, in open-air markets, uh, among groups of philosophers, and he will proclaim the gospel to people who weren't even looking for the gospel, to, to perfect strangers, in the marketplace, uh, and, and it's brilliant, and it's necessary. We need more evangelists in the world. In fact, we need more in our church. If that is your gift, we need you. Elsewhere, Paul says this. He says, Christ, gave him, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. So in my understanding of this passage, evangelists are, are kind of like pastors in the sense that they, they might be a rare gift. And evangelists have a role to play in building up the body, uh, in, in encouraging us and equipping us and propelling us outward on mission to share our faith. We need people who are gifted evangelists in this body in, in order to build the rest of us up, in order to equip us, to encourage us, to send us out. But Paul is assuming that most people do not have that gift. Which is why the church's prayers for Paul are different than Paul's prayers for the church. He goes on. This again is from the passage we read this morning. This is for everyone now. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So evangelists need open doors to speak, to boldly proclaim the gospel, even to rob at the bus stop for those who are gifted in that. They pray for open doors. Give me the open door. I've got the gift. We'll make it happen. But the rest of the church actually just needs to be ready to answer questions. Do you see that? Be wise, he says. Be missional in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Do good to them. Let your conversations be full of grace. And be ready to answer their questions. Peter actually says something very similar in 1 Peter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Evangelists boldly proclaim. But most of us need to hear this call as followers of Jesus. Be ready to answer their questions when they ask. And here's the catch. Embedded in that call is the assumption that you and I are living questionable lives. Do you see that? Live in a specific way in this world in which people are drawn in by curiosity. Paul assumes that people will be asking you to explain your behavior. To explain the hope that you have. In the first century, this was very natural. There was tons of obstacles to the Christian faith in the first century, but it naturally stirred curiosity. Christians lived radically different lives than the average person in the first century. Their commitment to justice, their care for the poor, their care for one another, uh, their generosity, their hospitality, their refusal to bow to the cultural idols of their day, their unity in the Spirit, Jew and Gentile, as one in the same place, worshiping the same God. Uh, men and women, no longer seated separately, as was the custom, um, but, but now in Christ, sitting together as one. Slave and master, no longer sitting separately or in separate temples. 
but, but now as one, hand in hand, worshiping the same God. All of these people sharing meals together, which was an intimate act in the first century. Uh, and, 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 and the pagans looked in it and they had questions. How is it that Jew and Gentile, after centuries of strife, are, are eating meals together, worshiping the same? How is it that men and women are, are now just worshiping? How is it that slave and master, there's no distinction in your community? Uh, how, how could that be? How do you care for the poor in the way that you do? Uh, the the well-funded Roman Empire had been working decades and centuries to care for the poor, and, and, and these new little-funded Christian communities were blowing them out of the water. It was a great frustration to the emperors during that time. And, and so there were all of these reasons uh, that, that people would ask questions. How is it that these people gather in this way? How is it that you care for the poor in this way? How it, why? Why are you doing this? What's behind this strange new sect that's just moved into our town? And out of those questions came answers. Out of those questions came conversations. Well, if you must know, it's Jesus. Here's who he is. He's king of the universe. Here's here's what he's done in my life. He's rescued me. He can do this for you as well. Be prepared to give answers to their questions. But here's the problem. What was questionable in the first century is no longer questionable today. No one is going to look in on our meals and say, oh my goodness, a Jew and a Gentile. <laughs> eating, sharing the same pepperoni pizza. I, I just can't. Why? No one's going to look in on our gatherings and say, oh my goodness, men and women seated side by side, worshiping the same God together. Like, what, what's going on here? No one is going to, uh, even in our day and age, no one's going to look in at our lives and say, wow, you live a, a, a middle-class lifestyle and you pay your taxes and you give to charity. This is stunning. Tell me more about why you live this way. Because in our time and place, those things are not shocking. Uh, they have become commonplace. Giving to charity is not a questionable act. It, it doesn't stir curiosity. Even working for justice or equality or feeding the hungry is no longer a questionable act. Everyone kind of does that. Totally secular people who have no clue who Jesus is, they, they do those things. And to be absolutely clear, we need to do those things as well, okay? I'm not discounting those. We will stand before God and give an account as to how we work toward justice. Did we feed those who don't have food? Did we clothe those who don't have clothes? We will stand before Jesus and give an answer for that. So we absolutely have a call to do those things, uh, but the question before us this morning is, uh, how can I live a questionable life? How can I live, what practices, habits can I develop that will stir curiosity uh, in those who, who exist in my sphere of influence? Friends, family members, coworkers, even strangers. 
And so what I want to share this morning and what we want to explore in the coming weeks are what we're calling five habits of highly missional people. Uh, and, and many of these habits um, have been proven to help reconnect lost people to God, and many of them will also stir curiosity in others as well. But the first is this. Uh, the first habit of highly missional people is prayer. As we seek to reconnect others to God, to be effective witnesses in the world, no one gets to skip the upper room. No one gets to just jump straight in and just go out and witness. It always begins in prayer. It always begins in seeking God. So we pray over our neighbors. We pray over our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces and our city and our nation. But we're also bringing people by name. God, I pray for Rob, who I see every other morning at the bus stop. Would you open a door there? Would you just bless him? Would you alert him to, to your rule and reign in the world, to your power over Satan, sin, and death? And if you want to use me, then, then do that. But I'm going to start praying over specific people in my life. In the, in the passage that we read this morning, the first three words that Paul, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. That's the first habit and the greatest habit that we can develop uh, as highly missional people. Uh, and ironically, it's the one we'll spend the least time talking about in the next few weeks, which is hypocritical, I know. Uh, but the reason being that we highly value prayer, it's just part of who we are. Uh, we talk about prayer often, and my assumption is uh, that most, if not all of you, know how to pray and perhaps are even growing in your, in your passion for prayer over time, in, in your enjoyment of prayer over time. That's my assumption. Could be wrong, but because we talk about prayer a lot and it's sort of part of who we are, we're not going to devote a separate week to it, although it is the first, and it's the thing we should do first, and it's the thing we should do most consistently as we seek to be highly missional people in the world. So we pray for others by name. Uh, second, we bless. Uh, and that's what I'll talk about briefly this morning as we close. We bless people just for the sake of blessing them. I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, the third habit is that we listen, and that cuts both ways. We listen to the people who we want to reconnect to God, and we listen to the Holy Spirit uh, as we go about our lives. Uh, the fourth habit is that we eat with others. We share meals with people who don't know Jesus yet, who have not yet been alerted to his rule and reign in the world. And finally, number five, we share. In the proper time, in the right place, we share our lives, our hope, our story, uh, the reality that Jesus is back from the dead. And we'll talk about each one of these in the coming weeks. Uh, but this morning, as we close, a quick word on blessing. Uh, one of the greatest, uh, most questionable things we can do is to simply bless the people around us with no agenda, with no strings attached. Uh, not as bait to lure them into our pre-written speech, but just for the sake of blessing them. Uh, each week as we uh, journey through these habits, we're going to issue a, a challenge every week, a new habit that you can actually begin uh, this week and could carry on for the rest of your life. 
And if you learn to develop these habits, which most experts say would take about 60 to 66 days of practice to really capture, ingrain a habit, but if you can uh, capture these habits, I promise you they will be effective in leading other people to Christ over time. And this week's challenge is simple. Bless three people every week, at least one of whom is in your church community, and at least one of whom is not yet a follower of Jesus. And that third person can fall into any category. And that blessing can be simple. A blessing is very creative. It takes many different forms. It can include include words of affection or affirmation, affirming good things that we see in others, building them up. Uh, It can include giving gifts or acts of service, and we could go on and we could expand that list. There's a huge variety. What does it mean to bless someone? There's a huge variety, but the bottom line is that they need to feel blessed. That's the litmus test. It's not us walking around saying, wow, I blessed that person, and they're like, that was not a blessing to me, okay? They need to feel blessed through one of those categories. Uh, And the point is that we bless them with no strings attached, with no ulterior motive. And my wife and I are currently taking this approach with our neighbors. Uh, A few years ago, we moved into an awesome awesome street, awesome neighborhood. Uh, We love where we live, and we've just started connecting with the neighbors. Uh, But our heart posture at this point is just to bless, just for the sake of blessing them. Whether that's shoveling snow or raking leaves, or uh, we might bake something fun on a holiday and just bring that over Um, or write them a card just affirming how much we appreciate them uh, as neighbors or whatever it is. Uh, We find way, that's part of missional living, is that we just go out, we see people, most, the vast majority of our neighbors are not yet followers of Jesus. And so we've said, we're just going to bless them for the sake of blessing them as the end goal. Not saying we're going to bless them as, you know, this, because we really need to give them this, this pre-written speech. We bless them and we say, that was a success. We successfully blessed them. They felt blessed. That was a success in in this stage of our relationship with them uh, as the end goal, just to live curious lives in our neighborhood. We don't rake the leaves and then stand there waiting for them to come home, you know. Aren't you curious? Like, don't you, don't you want to ask me why I raked your, I know you want to ask me. Yes, okay, yes, all right, you did, you asked me. Let me tell you, Jesus is back from the dead, you know? Like, we're not constantly, like, baiting them and just kind of waiting, like, I'm sure you want to ask now why we just did that. No, we're, we're just blessing them for the sake of blessing them. Right now, we're just blessing to bless. If they're curious, then they'll begin to ask questions, uh, and I believe that they will. Uh, and, and the odds are, over time, they, they will become more comfortable, they'll be curious, they will start asking questions about that. Chances are we have some conversations coming. In fact, we've had a few already. We've had a chance to explain the hope that we have. We, that, wasn't, that wasn't the ulterior motive, but they're asking about those things. Where is God in, in the midst of what's going on with the coronavirus? Where is God in the midst of me just, you know, having to say bye to my mother? or whatever it was. They, people are curious. They want to know what we think about those things. Uh, in fact, a blessing for the sake of blessing has actually shown to be more missionally effective than evangelizing for the sake of evangelizing. 
And this is powerful. I want us to grasp this. A study done in Thailand tracked two types of short-term mission teams that were being sent to that country. One set of teams was going to Thailand purely to bless. That was their first and only goal. We just want to bless people. Wherever there's a need, wherever people are hurting, wherever there's injustice, wherever there's hunger, show us. We want to, we're showing up just to be a blessing and to bless the people around us. The other set of teams went purely to evangelize. Their sole goal was to tell people about Jesus and to get others to make a commitment to him, to convert people to Christ. The result, the blessing teams were 50 times more effective in leading people to Jesus than the teams who were there purely to lead people to Jesus. Which is stunning. Aim purely for conversion, they got little to nothing. Aim purely for blessing, and they saw both. Because people were curious. They felt and experienced the love of God through those blessing teams, and they started to ask questions about the hope that they had. Why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why are you blessing me in this way? The teams who went to bless were living questionable lives. And the results were night and day. May we go from this place with a desire to live questionable lives and to bless others purely for the sake of blessing. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that we are among those you have called by name and, and called into your kingdom. That you've given us a, a new name, uh, a new identity, a new calling, uh, a, a, a fresh filling with the Spirit and all the possibilities that come along with that. And we recognize, Lord, that, you, that each and every one of us are not evangelists, but every single one of us is a witness. And, and so I pray that you would expand our thinking, Lord, on, on what it means. Every single person in this room can bless people. Every single one of us can do this. It's so tangible. It's so achievable. And, and yet, if in our dozens and our hundreds and our thousands and our millions around the world, as followers of Jesus, if we do this simple act, it will transform the world and, and alert the world to the hope that we have. And so I pray, Lord, that um, this morning and in the weeks to come that you would expand our thinking in terms of what it looks like to be effective witnesses. Uh, Lord, I'll be the first one to confess that there have been times when that just in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own thinking, I've put the cart before the horse. And, and I've made things unnecessarily awkward, unnecessarily complicated. I've put undue pressure on myself. I've labeled myself a bad Christian or a bad witness. And, and sometimes it's because I just didn't have the tools. I, I didn't know how to go about it. And yet, Lord, it is our, our deep and burning desire 
to see other people come into a saving relationship with you, to see other people saved out from under the powers of hell, to saved out from under the, the powers of Satan, sin, and death, and radically set free in the salvation that you offer. We want to see our family members, our coworkers, this city full of hope for eternity, filled up with the fullness of Christ. It's, it's our deep desire, Lord, that we would see the lost come to a saving knowledge of who you are. We, we devote ourselves, we lay down our lives for this purpose. But in the process, Lord, we surrender. We want to look at scripture and what you have to say. We want to look at, at experience, what's actually working in the world. We want to align ourselves with healthy biblical principles for how we can actually do this. Uh, because the, the, the cart before the horse can sometimes get us in a big mess. And so would you come, Holy Spirit, uh, and just anoint us as we worship, Lord. Would we have eyes to see um, that the fields around us are actually ripe? They're ready for harvest. Um, so many, too many, are looking at this year and saying, what a waste. Uh, we don't see it that way. Uh, I, I think you're prepping the ground, Lord. I think you're, you're preparing the soil. Lord, we want to see just streams of living water in this place. We want to see revival break out in this place. May we be there at the forefront filled with your spirit, walking in step with your spirit, alerting one person after the next person after the next person to your rule and reign in the world, to the beauty and majesty of who you are, to the hope that we have to offer in a world that has nowhere else to turn. There is no other hope outside of you. So would you anoint us for that purpose, Lord? Teach us again, renew our hunger to witness. Renew our heart for lost people. And give us the tools, Lord, practically. Lord, may we have a vision for how we want to engage in the world that leaves us energized, that leaves others blessed, that, that actually ushers people into the kingdom. We look to you now, Jesus. Would you come and speak to each one of us? Would you, would you speak to us? Would you, would you give us specific names and people uh, of those we are to bless this week? Could be a text message uh, to encourage one of our, our, a brother, a sister, a sibling, a mother, a father who, who lives a thousand miles away. Could be that simple. But may we be those people who, who go out into the world to bless people in your name with a, with a kingdom vision in mind. Just begin speaking to us now, Lord, about what that's going to look like for each one. We worship you now. In Jesus' name.